With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to episode 114 of Awards Chatter, the Hollywood Reporter's Awards podcast. I'm the host, Scott Feinberg, and my guest today is one of the great all-around entertainers show business has ever produced, a first-rate singer, dancer, and actor who can hold his own in every genre against anyone, Justin Timberlake. Timberlake is only 35, but he's already lived many lives and picked up more and more fans during each of them. Perhaps you first became aware of him during his 1993 appearance on Star Search when he was just 11, or discovered him between 1993 and 1995 when he was one of the multi-talented kids on the all-new Mickey Mouse Club. Maybe you were one of the teeny boppers who had posters of him on your wall when he was part of the phenomenally popular boy band In Sync from 1995 through 2001, or one of the guys like me who only became a fan of his music after he went solo in 2002. Or maybe he won you over through his SNL appearances, most notably in the Dick in a Box digital short, or at the movies, with his acclaimed performances in films like Alpha Dog and The Social Network. Regardless of when you jumped aboard the JT train, you're on it now, at a time when he's reaping the rewards of yet another sort of creative adventure. Namely, he voiced one of the lead characters and served as executive producer of music on DreamWorks Animation's animated adventure comedy Trolls, which hit theaters in November. By that time, one of the four songs that he personally wrote for its soundtrack, Can't Stop the Feeling, already was well on its way to becoming the best-selling single of 2016, having debuted back in May at number one on the Billboard Hot 100 chart. It since has reached number one in 17 countries, was nominated for the Best Original Song Critics' Choice Award, and is nominated for the Best Original Song Golden Globe Award, as well as a Grammy. In other words, it's everywhere. And in January, it might well bring Timberlake his first ever Oscar nomination in the category of Best Original Song. Over the course of an extensive conversation in a bungalow at the Chateau Marmont Hotel in Hollywood, Timberlake and I talk about how a preteen kid from rural Tennessee wound up on TV alongside Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera, Ryan Gosling, Carrie Russell, and J.C. Chazé, how NSYNC came together, became the biggest band in the world, and ultimately came apart, Why, after becoming a huge success as a solo artist, he stepped away from music for seven years between his second and third solo albums and focused on acting instead. Why he agreed to work on Trolls, an animated movie intended for kids, and re-teamed on it with Max Martin, a songwriter-producer with whom he'd last partnered during the NSYNC era, and what his plans are for the future. So, without further ado, let's go to that conversation. We are actuaries. In a world filled with unpredictability, we use our math skills to navigate uncertainty. Actuaries make a difference in people's lives across industries and the world. Actuaries have the freedom to work anywhere. And according to U.S. News & World Report, we're the 25th top-paying career. Make an impact as a fact-seeker and a truth-teller. Use your math skills for good as an actuary. The world needs you. Justin, thanks so much for doing this. Really appreciate it. And to begin with, we always ask, where were you born and raised, and, and what did your folks do for a living? Well, first of all, it's a pleasure. I was born in Memphis, Tennessee, and for my most of my childhood, grew up outside of the city in more of a rural setting, a place called Shelby Forest, which is outside of a town called Millington. <laughs> 
And my parents divorced when I was very young, but my mother remarried. And my stepdad was a, I think it was like, what was his title? It was like vice president of marketing mm-hmm. at First Tennessee Bank. I'm probably totally botching that. That's but plausible. And my, my understanding, I mean, I was really young mm-hmm. when they met still, but my understanding is that they may have met at that bank, that she was like temping as a secretary or something. Oh, wow. So. And your birth father. Mm-hmm was involved with music right yes my birth father and it seems my birth father my <laughs> father was yeah he- heavy into music for sure very naturally inclined i was always told that my father could you know every everyone around would say oh yeah you know randy would would just pick up an instrument and when in five minutes he would know how to play it and he was a really good singer as mm. well and my mom actually took tap her whole life, and it's kind of she's a good, really good tap dancer. So maybe it is genetic. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess maybe. I wish I wish I would have taken tap more now that I'm comfortable with saying that. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, so before Star Search, before Mickey Mouse Club, before Insync, all that stuff, what were the things that you were into as a kid, and and what did you imagine you would do with your life? You know, I was really into sports when I was a kid. I was really into basketball. It, it was very like, I feel like I grew up pretty middle class. And I mean, you have to understand too that like the Mickey Mouse Club, as it were, mm-hmm. and we all ended up on that show when we were like 10, 11, 12 years old. So it was, we were really young. Yeah. But the time before that, I, I was just kind of, I was into basketball and, and I was into music but I really loved, I loved sitcoms. I loved comedy. Uh, when I was younger, you know, like my, you know, if I had finished my homework, there were two different things that I, that were like the treats. One was I would get to play chess with my stepfather. Mm-hmm. But the other one was because for a period of time I was, we were living with my grandparents who lived next door to us. And basically I was, you know, I was raised for almost five years in a house that was beside my grandparents Mm -hmm. and then they owned the lot on the other side Mm -hmm. my grandparents owned the lot on the other side Mm -hmm. of their house and basically when my mom remarried they ended up building a different house a bigger house on the other side so we literally moved from one side of my grandparents (laughs) house to the other but there was a great time for me because you know I remember getting up in the morning and you know running over to my grandparents and hanging out with my grandfather and my and, and my grandmother and she would always cook breakfast and and so while they were while they were building this house this house on the other side of my grandparents mm-hmm. house we were living with them and we had sold the house that I was brought home from the hospital yeah. and yeah. and so but it was it was a great time i mean we lived out basically in the country it was a, it was a nice neighborhood for where we lived but was it in that house that I'd, I'd read about a, a time that your father, I guess, brought a, a vinyl record player into your room, and that may have sparked the, may have been an early spark of, of the love for music. <laughs> yeah, no, that was actually what my father's, when my parents divorced and my father got his own place. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm getting to like a whole <laughs> domestic, this is how it works, but. <laughs> Let's map it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but you know, I would, I would go stay with him every other weekend. Mm-hmm. So I went to his house and he had a record player. Basically, he kind of had like a, you know, a two bedroom house and he had a record player and I think he just put it in the extra bedroom and that's where I would stay when I would go stay with him. And he had some records that were sitting up and, and one of them was, was A Night at the Opera, Queen. And. That was just, that was the first, I think, I mean, growing up in middle America, it's like you always got Casey Kasem's <laughs> Top 40 Countdown, and you got, you sort of got trends on music, but you wouldn't get them until, I, I didn't, you don't realize it at the time, but you wouldn't get them until they were, you know, we got like pop trends. We didn't get a lot of it had to be really big. And you also had country, right? That was another thing. Yeah, there. well, be, growing up in Memphis, you have, you know, I don't know who titled our city this, but, you know, it's they, they say home of the blues, birthplace of rock and roll. Mm. But then Nashville, which is, you know, roughly two hours away, mm-hmm. 
depending on how fast you drive, <laughs> is, you know, the country music capital of the world. And also the history with, with Stax Records and Sun Studios. I mean, there's just so much music that came through that town. It's really like, really uh, just a music town, you yeah. know. And for, I think from Chicago to Memphis is like these, you'd hear these stories obviously way before, before I was born that, you know, Buddy Guy and, you know, all these, Howlin' Wolf and all these guys would just, they would do the circuit from Memphis up to Chicago and right back down yeah. and, and play a bunch of different gigs. And so it's kind of like those places that are artistically special, like where they say like, oh, there's just something in the water. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, like Virginia yeah. is that way, I, I think, and, and, and Tennessee is that way, and Alabama, you know, like there's certain things that there's certain places that where you say that you associate with certain things about music right if i say muscle shoals you would <laughs> think of something if i say new orleans yeah. you would think of something if i say memphis so there's a lot just in that whole that whole sort of triangle totally yeah i think it's sort of like a tri-state yeah, triangle yeah, yeah. there's just so much music and and you would grow up with it i mean even you know we weren't taught it in school it wasn't part of the curriculum but you would, you would see it all around town, and you know, obviously, the Civil Rights Museum is in Memphis, mm-hmm. and it's not it's not an easy town either, though I wouldn't say. You know, it's there's a ton of segregation. Yeah, you know, I think all those places that that have birthed so much great music, a lot of it, you know, it's it's fair to say has come out of struggle. Yeah, totally. And and so you know, it was a really interesting place to grow up and know that. It, it was like you could drive by the studio that Johnny Cash and Elvis recorded at, and you could drive by a different studio that Al Green recorded at, but then you could also drive by literally where Dr. Martin Luther King right. was, was assassinated. Right. You know, it was, it's it, it's not an easy town, but it's definitely unique yeah. to, to itself. So how does 11-year-old... Justin Timberlake wind up on Star Search. What led up to that, and what was the <laughs> what was yeah, the was that eleven? I, you know, listen. I mean, I think at that time too. I remember, I remember saying to my mom, like, I think I really want to take this singing thing like seriously, <laughs> and uh, you know, and she kind of saying, you can't really half-ass it. I mean, she said it more eloquently than that, but. <laughs> But that if you're going to do it, you have to do it. You know, it means you might have to make sacrifices with the other things that you think are fun to do or whatever, Mm -hmm. or, you know, and, and, and is this something that you find fun? And so, I don't know, I just kind of like, I would clown around in class a lot. You know, it was like making the kids in class laugh was fun. But if I made the teacher laugh, (laughs) that felt like, you know, if I could clown around in such a way that like even the teacher would succumb to like right. her responsibility of piping us all down right that was like a sense of accomplishment for me so the lure was kind of like performing just getting a reaction yeah, yeah. and and listen the first time i sang it it was yeah it was i think it was more about getting a reaction and sometimes i guess i would be withholding the full truth if it wasn't like sometimes just to see how far you could push it but the first time I, I, I sang, I sang in church. Uh-huh. And I don't know, there was just something about it that it, it just it felt natural to me. And I didn't have to think too much about it. And so that's when I, it just, it just felt like it felt really good. It felt really good to do. And so then I went to my, to my mom and said, I think, I, think, I, think I'm, I think I actually really enjoy this. And, you know, I wanted to get guitar lessons and piano lessons and vocal lessons and she was like okay one at a time we're on a budget <laughs> but i i will say to my, my mother and my my stepfather if those two hadn't conspired even at that time you know hadn't hadn't one seen something inside of me but two like really conspired and like had faith to put all of that energy into me sort of doing it mm-hmm. i guess you know i mean she took me to those those auditions and you know, I mean, the star search thing, you asked about the star search thing. Sorry, I, I ramble. I'm like the, <laughs> well, he's I'll, like, I'll keep you in the I feel sorry for people who have to like transcribe print interviews with me because I just ramble on and on. So it was just like they were auditioning kids at a mall. You know, they were doing like a, it was like a nationwide 
talent search and they were auditioning kids at the mall and you could audition you could actually audition as many times as you wanted i think that was what it was and and so i auditioned two different ways because i loved soul music and at that time like you know and he's still such an idol to me like garth brooks was like the biggest thing (laughs) in the world he was he was really the biggest pop star in the world at the time so but i still loved all the soul music as well so i auditioned with Percy Sledge when a man loves a woman, mm-hmm. and then a Garth Brooks song. It was it was probably either two of a kind or the dance or something. Mm-hmm. But country music was a big like it was you know he was he was the biggest star in the world at the time. And was it an immediate yes or how long before you found out you were on the? It show? was I don't I don't actually remember yeah. I don't actually remember but I remember them saying yes we want you to be on the show but yeah. we want you to do the country thing we don't uh, want you okay. to do the soul thing. They were trying it's, to shape you so I was like, well, I mean, it was the first lesson, and you know, to get it at ten years old, it was the first lesson where I was like, "Oh, this is a TV show, right, right, right. like it's not real, like it's a talent contest. The talent contest is the idea, right. it's the concept, right. but it's a TV yeah, show. Yeah, they still need their brains. and this is what they want for TV. So it was my first lesson into that, and I remember me and my mom saying, "Well." you know, they send you to Orlando and they put you up at like a Disney resort. <laughs> She's like, you want to go to Disney World? And I, you know, obviously at 10 years old, I was like, well, of course, right. you know, and we were like, let's go have fun with it. And it's a free trip to, to, yeah. to Disney World. And and it's really hilarious too. Like, feels like that song out of Book of Mormon, Orlando, but it's like that place as well is kind of like, weirdly symbolic from the time that I was 10 until I was 20 because we went there for star search we lost in the first round and then we said let's do a road trip home Mm -hmm. me and my mom and then we veered off towards Nashville and we were in I think we were in Hendersonville Tennessee staying at like we were staying like days in and on the TV literally on the TV it was like open call audition for the Disney Channel's MMC, and I had remembered the show because there were two girls that lived across the street from me growing up, and when we would get home from school, I would go over to their house across the street, and we would watch TV shows like Say by the Bell, yeah, and yeah. like it was all the shows that were that that were on, and we would flip channels, and that was one of the shows that was on. And when you're 10 years old, you're just kind of like, wow, look at these kids; they're like living the life. Right. You know, like, so it was, it was interesting because the next day we were like, well, we're here. We may as well go. And the casting director, Matt Casella, who ended up casting myself and Ryan and Christina and Brittany and JC and Carrie Russell and (laughs) Nikki Deloach and, you know, like all these people who have gone on to have, you know, in the arts, you know, make a life for ourselves. He saw something in all of us. It was strange. So that day that you go in, he he saw you. So here's what it was: you would yeah. go in for you like the audition was. You would go in and they would hand you a monologue for like a comedy sketch. Yeah. And they would give you, you know, they'd give you like 15 minutes or something. You go back out and you try to memorize it right. or whatever. You didn't have to be off book, but but then you would come in and you know you'd hear the kids. Like you hear the kid before you, it's like all these kids in this line and you'd hear the kid before you in the room (laughs) and you'd hear them like do the sketch and they had one for a girl and one for a boy and you'd hear the, you'd hear the kid do a sketch and then they'd sing a song and then they just put on like CNC music factory and go, okay, you know, can you do any dancing? Do you have any (laughs) training dancing or whatever? And then you just start, you dance. Right. And I, they were just seeing, you know, you know, they were they were trying to find triple threats. Right. This is basically what they right. were doing, you know. But then I remember at the end, it just like I wasn't, I've never been good at auditions, <laughs> ever, because I remember feeling like, well, obviously things on the day will change. Like like when I'm there, it's going to be different because you're going to have the set and the thing, you know. Like I think I understood it enough at that point that. And I, I don't know, for some reason, I was just like horrible at auditions. I couldn't, you know, like, <laughs> I, yeah, I, yeah, I, I wasn't, I don't know. Yeah. And I remember them saying, so why, you know, why are you here? 
why would you want to be on Disney Channel's new Mickey Mouse Club? I remember them saying that to the kids and them all going like, this, I think I have the opportunity to blah, blah. Right. And I'm like, we're 10. <laughs> you know, like, oh. and it was just funny to me. And so I went, We I knew when a man was a woman. Right. So I came in and sang that and, you know, did the sketch and got some chuckles from the peanut gallery and and then dance and they're you know like danced around and he's just doing like the running man right <laughs> and why do you you know why do you want to be on the disney channel's new mickey mouse club and i think i said something like i mean i'm in it for the money <laughs> <laughs> you know because i just right. felt like and and i got i remember i remember matt laughing and and then and, and so funny enough then you got called to a like an audition camp and that was in Orlando. So we were like, oh, Back wow, there, it's yeah. another free trip to right. Disney World if, <laughs> if it doesn't work out. Right. And it did. And, and you know, the, a lot of the kids that were cast in that in the new cast were all at that at that camp. Right. They auditioned 15 to 20,000 kids and they were down to 27 or something, 26, 27 kids. And and the handful of us that were all in that same sort of class yeah. of, of, of kids were at that camp. So those, however long it was that you were on on the show that period how would you describe your your time there the value of it were you still going to school were mm-hmm. you know all of that just so that people can understand because it was really out of that came it seems like everything else there was the acting there was the singing there was the dancing so just briefly what was what do you remember most and what was the value of that time i mean i think that i think that different kids were there for 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 kind of different reasons but i think we all were we all were kind of suited to be not suited i mean we all were kind of like i would say intuitive towards what you would call the triple threat Mm -hmm. and yeah i don't know i mean that time you're i guess the schedule the schedule would be you know they had roughly you know 20 odd kids that were cast on Mm -hmm. the show Mm -hmm. and so they didn't use all the kids every week and that was kind of the we would shoot we would shoot two shows a week so they would kind of split some of the kids off and and uh, we'd shoot a show on friday and a show on saturday and then the rest of the week would be gearing up for those shows getting the sketches together working rewrites you know getting to watch the writers rewrite them and send them send you new copy and we would do three hours of school a day like on the set no, well, they had it like you know, it was backstage at MGM Studios. So it was like bungalows oh, that yeah. you would try. You go to each bungalow, and yeah. they would. They had it down to a science. Yeah. they really had <laughs> it down to like a it. science. But you know, you you got it. I guess I guess really what you got was experience in front of the camera, right. getting comfortable with the camera, experience in front of a live audience because we always shot in front of a live studio audience. And getting to have an experience with like other kids that you're like, oh my gosh, there's like 20 other freaks in the world, <laughs> you know, because growing up in Memphis, you know, that's you're, you know, you're a weirdo or, <laughs> or other even more derogatory thing, right. you know. So were you happy? Calling. Were you having fun? Yeah, it was fun. It was. It was, it was fun. It was, I mean, listen, we would, there'd be times where you'd have like, we're going to give you an hour for your lunch break. And you know you spend twenty minutes eating, and be, and we had, we had employee cards to get to the back area, but you could use those employee cards to go to any ride, <laughs> and get in the employee line, which right. there was never a line because right. all the employees were clearly working. Right. <laughs> and so I think that, I think it was like we we kept trying to break the record for how because the the new attraction that was up at the time was the Hollywood Tower Hotel. Funny enough. <laughs> where the twilight zone right. ride where the elevator drops and we kept trying to break the record in a half hour of how many times we could <laughs> ride it so that period kind of really put you on the map now just it's the- funny though because it not at the time didn't feel like that no 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 it didn't, it didn't. i mean listen we were on you know the cast that i was cast with we were on the show for two seasons and then the show got canceled it's not like the show was like say by the bell or like you know, Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Like the show wasn't big. Clearly, it it it, it was some of the fat because <laughs> the show got clipped after two seasons that we were on. And I think it's a bigger deal to people now. I think I think people kind of think that it might have right. been a success because there's been people right, that have right, gone right, on right. to have success. And it's 
And it's very weirdly coincidental, or maybe not, that we're all on that same cast. But, I mean, we were on for two seasons and the show got canceled. So I don't think you can really say no, that it was so. like a huge success. But What was life like coming out of that, though? Or was that like kind of a crash down weird. to earth? It was weird. Yeah. I think I immersed myself back into basketball and mm-hmm. sports, but also like, you know, it kind of gone through you know, you kind of gone through puberty at that right. point. So it was like other things to focus on <laughs> girls and trouble and pushing the edge that right. way, you know? And, and also too, it's like growing up in the country at that time, you could get access to a lot of things, <laughs> you, you know? So you went back to Tennessee and then what was it? I, I vaguely remember from interviewing you before that you were looking, you were talking with your mother about the possibility of going out to LA for pilot season or something. And yeah. that's when the beginning of NSYNC was. Yeah. We had decided that we were going to go out to LA for pilot season because I really enjoyed, I, I wanted to, I really wanted to get into comedy mm-hmm. really badly. And I really got bit with that bug being on the television show yeah. because we would do all this sketch comedy. And I don't know. I think maybe, you know, music came it came easier to me, so I didn't take it as seriously. I wanted something that was challenging, mm-hmm. and I found, you know, acting and everything that 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 I could explore with that to be more challenging. And so we were going to go out to LA for pilot season and just do a, a ton of auditions yeah. and and literally like the I think it was like the week before we were going to go, got this call from. I had a sort of a commercial agent mm-hmm. that was working in Atlanta. So if there was any type of like. Any anything that was being shot down there that you know they were looking for <laughs> a white thirteen year old with <laughs> super nappy hair, um, and coincidentally, I think I think this is how it happened. But Chris Kirkpatrick had the same agent, mm-hmm. and he was you know for it was basically for commercial work, print, TV, anything. Yeah. And so he wanted to start a group. He wanted to start a group, and he called her, and she said. I know this kid, and that's who you should call. You should call his parents. So here's where it gets kind of interesting. Is obviously JC was on the show. I was on the Disney yeah. show as well. So the other thing that we were doing just to keep up with doing music was JC and I were starting to. We were going to Nashville back and forth, and we were starting to write. We were starting to like write and record, you know, and explore music that was just just free you know and at a really young age right so yeah. you know roughly, yeah, I was 14, 14 yeah. yeah and you know and he was he was very much like a big brother to me at that time and you know at that time we were like being turned on to all this like like D'Angelo's Brown Sugar came out and like the surgeons of of all Timbaland produced yeah. music had yeah. like come out and I think super duper fly Missy Elliott's like so I was being turned on to all this different, you know, uh, Midnight Marauder had come out the year before. Yeah. So I was like, all I was a Tribe Called Quest like <laughs> fangirl, <laughs> and 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 but at the same time there was like Nirvana was in Pearl Jam and this whole Seattle yeah. thing was happening and I was really into that as well. I was just into everything at that time and I remember I remember wanting to get into songwriting because I didn't love every song from every art you know from from a certain artist you know i think there's certain type of music fans who it's like they ride with that artist and they're like no you know uh, i love every song but for me because you grew because i was so i associated myself with memphis so much like you know like michael jackson i don't remember i I mean we could you could probably look it up but when he, he never came to memphis like there wasn't a concert venue big enough to house the King of Pop. Right. We didn't get access to those types of performers yeah. as much, you know, but like the Eagles came to Memphis, Sting came to Memphis, and like there were certain artists that were different types of musicians that would come. So I felt like I was turned on by all that and so many different types of music. So so we were really trying to get into songwriting. So JC and I were actually in that, going back and forth from Nashville, and he was staying, he was kind of like staying at our house in Memphis and we would go back and forth to Nashville. 
you know, for weeks at a time. And, and we started try, trying to write music and record music and, and that's had that happened. time in the studio. And that's when Chris called. So yeah. Chris called my mom and my mom told me about it. And then JC and I looked at each other and said, well, that sounds interesting. Let's both go down. So again, <laughs> back to Orlando, it was like another free trip to Orlando. <laughs> There's this guy down here named Lou Perlman who will fund the whole thing. And we right. were like, this sounds crazy. Right. We didn't know how crazy it was going to turn yeah. out, but, but, you know, and we went back down and, and, and we met with Chris and, and it wasn't, you know, I think that a lot of the perception of how that group formed was that, you know, there was a Svengali that masterminded putting us all together. But one thing I will give Lou Perlman a lot of credit for was he stayed out of the way. He did, yeah. Yeah. He wasn't, he like, he let the talent be the talent. He let us kind of like form ourselves and and find our own identity. But but at the time, I, I remember I remember you know he had the Backstreet Boys, and so if if we felt like okay, this guy clearly has a proven track record right. because he's made this group successful as well. And did you feel pitted against them in a way? Like let's see who can outdo the I, other. I never did. No, I never personally did. To be honest, you know, I always sort of made jokes about it, but <laughs> I never, you know. I think that, and rightfully so, you know, I put myself in their shoes. I think they probably, they might have felt like, well, you already have us. Why would you need to right. do this again? It's like, I guess he was probably like, because I can't. Yeah, right. Can so, we just remind people though? Because I mean, anyone who was alive will remember, but for anyone else who, <laughs> who, who wasn't. So three years after you guys all met around 95, I guess, the first album comes out, sells 11 million copies. Right. I think you guys were like the closest thing to the Beatles since the Beatles. How did you just process the success that came with that and just built and built over those those next few years? Because now it wasn't a question of like, do people know who I am? Now it was like, right. your life was massively different, right? right? <laughs> I mean, I think for the most part is we, for a good, you know, I mean, listen, it was it wasn't a, ton of years we were together just 95 to 01 right yeah 95 to 01 yeah yeah and we really only did three albums and 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 four i guess if you count the christmas album that we did but because we could play so many shows and i think that we really i think that the thing with us was we looked up to people we looked up to groups that could sing really well live Mm-hmm. I think that was our th- that was something that we wanted to really establish about ourselves mm-hmm. that yeah we y- you know I think I remember that we we really cared about we spent hours and hours and hours and hours singing together you know and trying to perfect mm-hmm. because the first thing we wanted to be was an acapella group I mean we wanted to be able to sing acapella yeah. really well and we also at that time were being influenced by a lot of music that was not pop music, you know? And and so I think that when we were presented to, for instance, like, you know, it's this is where you can start to have like a full circle conversation, but when we were brought to Max mm-hmm. and Dennis at the time, I, I remember Max going like, oh, okay, this these... Is Max Martin, yeah. the songwriter, producer, yeah. Right. Yeah, I forget that people that were listening might not actually know. I, I, feel, I feel like I, I could just say Max and people know it's Max Martin. But yeah, Max Martin. Right. Of every song that you sang in the shower or in your car. Right. Fame. Right. And with you guys, let's just state that was tearing up my heart. It's going to be me. Yeah. Well, his, he, you know, Max, at that time, they had developed the whole camp. Like they had a whole like army of songwriters and producers. For NSYNC. No, just for no for 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 Sharon Studios, I got oh, which I was got in you. Stockholm. Okay, and so there was a whole camp of people. You know, if it, if it wasn't Max, Max and Dennis didn't have their hands on it. Right. They definitely heard it and sculpted it from afar. So looking back now, with unbelievably, it seems to me, and I'm sure therefore much more even to you, 15 years since the since the end of NSYNC, mm-hmm. what are you proudest of about what you guys accomplished before we move on to the many other great things that have happened since? Just to synopsize, and again, not to, and I don't want to gloss over what a jarring change that must have been for your, your person, just your own life. No, it was a jarring change for me personally because, you know, I, and I'm not going to get too far into it because I have had ups and downs with it mm-hmm. and, I, and I've come to a place where I, I think the world of 
first of all, I definitely think the world of those four guys, mm-hmm. you know, but also to the people that I was around, you know, people that I had relationships with, I, I really think the world of them as well. And I root for them. Yeah. So I don't want this to seem like, I'll put it this way. I look back on that time and it was like nothing could go wrong. It was literally, you know, we were all kids in a candy store and we, you know, listen, I was, I bought, I bought my first house before I bought my first car (laughs) or it was, you know, it was like around the same time. Like we were, it was, it was something that no one could, I don't think anyone of us would, you just can't grasp it at the time. But I do think the thing that centered us was we really cared about being good on stage. Like we wanted to be really good. We wanted people to, we knew we we were also like, we had enough, we had enough like self-awareness to know that like, you know, that there was, at that time, I remember we'd go to the MTV Awards and there would be, you know, Metallica or, yeah. or, or Limp Biscuit or like, a, you know, Rage Against the Machine right. would be there and then there'd be us and then there'd be like <laughs> Puff and J-Lo and, uh, you know, like it was, at that time, they'd all just put us in the same room and again, they were like, it's a TV show, let's yeah. see what happens. <laughs> but we had the, we had so much respect for everybody around us, you know, and we were just, we were, we were so, like, I think we all were just like, can you believe what's happening? <laughs> and, and so, yeah, it was a great time. It was a really, really, really great time. And, and I think the thing that I'm most proud of, yeah. honestly, is that we do remain friends. I mean, we're, we're obviously not together all the time, but that we just came out of that whole thing, like, not wanting to kill each other, right. you know. <laughs> like, and and so it was following the the 2001 album celebrity. You guys had a little bit of a, I guess, hiatus, and that's when you started with your first solo album, which was Justified 2002. This is you and Timbaland beginning to work right. together. Right. This came out and couldn't have been a lot bigger. Well, we had, st- yeah, it started. Uh, it started at, with with Pharrell. With and Chad, you know, I mean, that's how I had started that solo project. Got you. And 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 in the end, when it comes out, you've got the number three song of the year, "Cry Me a River." You've got so many other "Rock Your Body," on and on on this. Just going solo now, being solo for the first time. Mm-hmm. How was that different, aside from the obvious that you're on your own? But like, what mm-hmm. did you just feel you could be more creative? You know, the way I like to describe the group at that time is we all kind of had musical tastes that you know we did what we did but we all had musical tastes that varied yeah and you know i think at la it's sort of and i say and listen i say this with all love and 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 humility but but i I have to be honest i think that the guys did look to jc and i to be musical leaders Mm -hmm. of the group i think because i i feel like because of our intuition, but also because of our experience. Mm -hmm. And I I just think that we had all come to a place, I feel like, where I think people wanted to try different things. You know, I think Joey and Lance were making a a comedy and, you know, people were, were getting interested in other things. You know, it's like, it's that thing of like when you get out of high school and you're like, what do I want to major in in college? Except we're like, in like the biggest group in the right, world. Right. So so at the time, so I just remember I just remember saying I want to continue, but I knew that I had something that I wanted to do that quite honestly, I don't think any of them would be interested in doing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. At that time, I don't think they were interested in in making that type of music. I wanted to make something that was different from what we had done. So obviously it was it it worked in a major way right off the bat and then the the second album as well 2006, we've got Future Sex Love Sounds, which which was the sexy back album and, and many things. But what I wonder if you feel this was kind of the turning point was in 2006, A, you're you're starting to do, I think that was the year of Alpha Dog. And mm-hmm. also... Yeah, uh, I think we shot Alpha Dog in like 04, 05. Yeah, and came like out that year. And also, t- 10 years ago this week was the collaboration with, between you and the Lonely Island that resulted in... Dick in a Box. Was that the ten years ago? ago this week? Holy shit! And so uh, that was your Sorry, first. No, podcast. that's fine. It's, it's uh, we welcome it here. So <laughs> that went, you know, maybe the first viral video. I, but the the theme between that and that was really ten years ago. I know. <laughs> wow. 
wow. it's crazy, huh? So, so between that and Alpha Dog and some of the other things that you then began to do in the years immediately after that, Southland Tales, Black Snake Moan, all this, it seems like there was a concerted focus to to turn your attention to acting, right? I mean, because also we should note between 2006 with Future Sex Love Sounds and then there wasn't another album until 2013 with the right. 2020 experience. So was right. this because you really wanted to see what you could do with acting? I don't know that I like woke up and, you know, felt so consciously devoted to like <laughs> being a masochist and having everybody tell me what why are you doing this? Because you got some of that? People are like, who well, does yeah. he think he is? Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. I just remember, you know, there was a whole other side of things I grew up watching and, and loving too, which were the singing in the rains and, and watching, you know, seeing Fosse movies mm-hmm. and watching Gene Kelly work. And that also, I think that also bleeding over onto me even more so from getting to meet Michael mm-hmm. Jackson mm-hmm. and seeing how he was influenced by Astaire mm-hmm. so much and feeling like a validation because of that. Yeah. So I don't know. I feel, you know, it's it's just kind of one of those things that like there's an undeniable feeling in your gut mm-hmm. and you kind of have to like, you kind of just have to say honestly, I'm going to sound like risky business. Joel, <laughs> sometimes you just got to say, fuck it. <laughs> what, I remember at the end, he's like, like, what happened to just saying, fuck it? Joel, <laughs> I was kidding. <laughs> but yeah, no, I felt like it was something that, again, I was going to LA for pilot season because I wanted to be an actor. Mm-hmm. And I desperately really like I wanted it, but you I just also got sidetracked though. Right? I, <laughs> I just got lucky yeah. is what I got. But I did feel like if I don't, I also like Future Sex Love Sounds was such a statement for me, mm-hmm. and and you know it was like three or I don't even know three or four number ones in a row, yeah. and it just felt like it felt like I had to walk away from it for a second because I just didn't want to get poisoned by outside influence and the other thing that seemed so pure to me was exploring you know drama and comedy as an actor so that's really that's really why I did it and also too like I felt like you know directors that I would meet with and I don't know why but they uh, would offer me a job <laughs> well, let's just say though because it's you're being humble about it but so Nick Cassavetes Cassie and Alpha Dog that was like a whole generation of the people who have now come into their own as as top actors, and you held your own very much with them. Then Richard Kelly's Southland Tales, then Craig Brewer's Black Snake Moan. Mm-hmm. But would you agree that there's basically like the before and after moment was was Social Network, right? Oh yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, probably. Right, and so probably playing, you've got one of the most respected directors in the world, David Fincher, who says, "I'm willing to entrust you with this major." supporting part Sean Parker in this big movie Sorkin script and you said I think that in a way you you really felt on that one that people were doubting that you could pull this off and so what was I don't know I, I listen I don't know if there was any sort of specific you know thing I I, I kind of like it, it, it's tough and I think I'm, I'm sure a lot of actors or musicians would tell you the same that like it's it's hard not to it's hard not to feel like you're being criticized a lot, but I think also too you you have to have the ability to you you have to believe in in what you can bring to the table and it, and it comes back to you know the training and the process and and all the things that make you sound like you know actory <laughs> <laughs> but but I don't know i I just I saw a clear I saw something that I could do with it. I, I just saw something that I could do with it. And Can we hammer down on that, though? Because you were basically from, I'm going to find you, Mark Zuckerberg, through the calculated <laughs> movements and everything of physically of this guy. It was a very right. methodical right. act. It was an actory thing. It wasn't like 
Mm-hmm. Here's a let's find a role for for the for the rock star, you know, like <laughs> right. the pop star. It was a you. Do you think that that see for me too? Like it's a, I guess that there's historically been that, but I don't know. I've never. I, I just. I guess I don't pay attention to sort of things like that. Like, well, the key precedent there, which I know it made you uncomfortable to hear about at the time, but like Frank Sinatra, right? And for you, after Social Network, you were. Now, an actor in a greater sense, I think, you know, certainly more respected than you'd been before. And you had, just to remind people, in the next few years since then, between then and now, a wide variety, maybe not another drama so much, but you had Bad Teacher, which made $100 million. You had Friends with Benefits. You had In Time, a wide variety of of genres. You've enjoyed the, the acting in the years since then? Yeah, well, you know... That was, yeah, those experiences were just priceless and fun. And, you know, then you get, you know, then you get a call from the Coen brothers, you know, Mm -hmm. and then I feel like I'm like, it's, you really have these pinch yourself moments because, because you're getting to work with all these directors now that, that you've just grown, grown up admiring and, Mm -hmm. and loving. So I think you just have to have faith in what you have in your bones to perform, to give a performance in any shape or form and i don't know maybe 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 there's a little bit of ignorance there too but i think that 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 uh, as they say it can be very blissful are you just as happy acting as you are when you're singing yes absolutely i found that i think that my life is it has changed well my life has changed a lot in the last three or four years and i'm finding that i've devoted a lot of time to being a musician and being an actor Mm -hmm. and I'm enjoying now being really conscious and I feel like I'm in a really appreciative state of my life now I think that I think that I maybe subconsciously have used skepticism and criticism from other people to fuel me to validate myself that's great that's the best thing you can do with it, right? Yeah, I mean that. Yeah, but I think at some point you get to this place. You're like, yeah, but I think you start to question, like, well, did I do that for me, or did I do that in spite of me? <laughs> you know, or in spite of them? You know, and I think that I'm at a place now where I'm looking around and and feeling really appreciative and spend a lot of time like running mm-hmm. through my career, and I feel, I feel now that that. And 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 without a doubt, you know, ha- having having a son and yeah. or having a child is it just it just changes you. So it's now two years since that happened, right? Yeah, yeah, almost two years. And so I I don't know. I think that I just feel I used to feel like when I would go to sleep, you know, like what did I achieve today? And now I feel like when I go to sleep, I'm like like what do I appreciate about today? Right. You know, and I think that that's a different. That's a different place. That's obviously a different place to be. Oh, so, and to be honest, it, what it does is it just like it re it invigorates you in a totally different way. And the and the funny thing is, I I feel like I'm just coming into my own. I really do. Like I I I feel like I feel like I still have so much to learn, and that's exciting. And and within you know my career as well, you yeah. know, and and. Well, your son has to do with what I want to spend our just remaining few minutes talking about because mm-hmm. I think that you might not, I, is it fair to say you might not have taken on trolls in any capacity, let alone mm-hmm. acting, singing, mm-hmm. <laughs> had you not had a child? Probably right? not. Right? I don't, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's, you know, this was, this kind of turned into, I don't know if it was, it was all planned out that way, but I feel like this kind of turned into Jeffrey's kind of swan song at, at Katzenberg, Jeff, yeah. Jeffrey Katzenberg's swan song at, 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 at DreamWorks and that's a beautiful thing too to, because I've known him for so long mm-hmm. and you know he would always say to me like we gotta find you <laughs> you, you can't you can't keep letting Elton do <laughs> you know do the soundtracks for the animated movies and cause you'd voice Shrek 3 you've done a voice in that right right but this is like now you and Anna Kendrick are the mm-hmm. two core key voices of right. characters here but it just it how did that evolve I think you said yes to just voicing the character, not yes. to the music. Right. So Absolutely. how did that expand? How did they rope it you into that? It was kind of instantaneous with the pitch. Like they were like, and 
<laughs> drum roll please you like it was kind of like well we also want you to 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 you know sort of oversee the music and produce you know all the, these arrangements and you know like make them sound good <laughs> i was like oh okay no pressure no and this meant reuniting as you referred earlier with Max Martin, who you hadn't worked with in almost 20 years since the NSYNC days. Right. So that was coincidental as well. Max yeah. and I had been talking about working together just in general. Mm-hmm. We had talked about just getting in the studio and just, just writing, just seeing what it was like. I, I kind of, I had done this thing with, with making albums where I wouldn't go in the studio until I was ready to make an album. And then I would go in the studio and was like, let's make an album and we're going to make the album until we're done. And then we put it out <laughs> and then we go on tour. Right. But I kind of was feeling like, now you can go in the studio and and just write, you know, and like demo some stuff and see what comes out of it. And so I feel like we were going to we were going to mess around with that. And then I got this pitch, and I came back to to Max and said, you know, there could be something here for us to do. I said, but it's it's for a movie. And he was like, okay, it's for an animated movie. Okay, it's for an animated movie called Trolls. <laughs> and it just became I don't know. It became. The more we sort of in, investigated doing this together, the more we were like, you know what? We'll have a lot of fun doing this, you know? And there's less, it felt like less pressure. Once you sort of get into the world that, you know, Mike and Walt and Gina and all, you know, these, the, the directors and producers and all of DreamWorks had created, once you got into that world, like it just felt like you 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 became childlike, you know. It, it, the pressure was gone, and I'll say this too: if it wasn't for the movie and the world that the movie had sort of created, and the songs that were already being referenced and the arrangements, then we wouldn't have made we wouldn't have written "Can't Stop the Feeling" either. Yeah. Because we felt like it had to fit into this world. That's the most amazing thing to me, though, is that you, and I think it was a unprecedented challenge, which you can't have too many of at this point. You've been doing this for, for a long time now. But to have a challenge where, to quote Jeffrey, quote, it had to fit into a specific place, <laughs> a specific mood, a specific type of melody and sentiment, and with lyrics that could talk to the character moments. It's inconceivable to me that it worked, close quote. So that's the speaking specifically about Can't Stop the Feeling, which is one of four that you personally contributed here. Right. And that's by far become, I mean, it's the debut at number one on the Billboard Hot 100, reached number one in 17 countries, became the best-selling single of 2016, now nominated for the Critics' Choice, Golden Globe, and a Grammy. But that sounds like it must have been a very daunting thing to have to do. It was. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie to you. It was. It was. It was a real challenge. I'd never had to go in and write a song with with that much pretense. The challenge, really, honestly, the challenge. Th- there were three parts to this challenge for us, and I think that because all artists, whether we like it or not, are very prideful. <laughs> we like to. Ch- we are all masochistic. We like to challenge ourselves in that way. It was situational. I mean, trolls is a musical. You know, it's a musical. And I felt like, well, we're not going to treat this like it's just a kid's musical. We're going to treat this with the same, you know, care that Grease was treated with, Mm -hmm. you know, like this is a real thing. And it's like, to me, it could have been any type of arrangement, but we knew we had to write a song about capturing the feeling of happiness and how it's accessible for all of us. Just all you have to do is, you know, look in the mirror or turn on your favorite song. There's so many different ways to, to, to do it, but that, but that we internally, we all have it. And it's something that we don't really do as humans as much. We can identify so easily with sadness because there's such a realness to it, but it's almost like when, because sadness is so real, it's almost like, you have to accept the fact that, that that happiness is real too. It's almost like I think out of out of just being a human and being and fearing that when you are happy that it's going to go away. Yeah. You know, that we can't we can't sit in it and enjoy it. And that's that whole thing about appreciating as well. So we started talking about it. We knew that these two care you know, we knew these two characters had to, you know, 
the challenge as well was was the verbiage because we wanted it to work inside the inside the plot, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but we couldn't make it so theatrical and sort of literal that it didn't work on its own. Yeah. Because we wanted it to work on its own as well. We wanted it to be a song that we just loved and could sit away from the movie as well. Where the beat and the groove came from was I, you know, I said to Max and obviously and Johan are the other the other Swede <laughs> that worked on this with us. I was like, you know, this whole movie feels like disco to me. And because ABBA is like the height of that <laughs> and there's like there's some more serendipity for you, right. you know. It just felt like, you know, let's make a modern disco record, dance record that 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 is just so unabashed. There was a lot of drafts of different pre-choruses and choruses and because it's a wordy song as well you know there's a lot of rhythm to it and I think too it's like there's a joke in the movie obviously that like my character doesn't like to sing or dance (laughs) so what I love about this movie is it's its own thing but it's also like irreverent to like pop culture in a way and we're using great pop songs from great moments in pop culture so the movie I'm really proud of how everyone treated the movie. With the song, I think we felt like that had to fit into that as well. When it was done, did you realize, again, you've been doing this a long time, did you feel in your gut that this had the potential to be as big as it's become? I always test my music on my friends. Mm -hmm. And the reaction that I got from them was like, you know, you have to put this out now. Like you have and to it put did this out before the now. movie, yeah. And so, and and we were also talking about. I was referencing Saturday Night Fever, mm-hmm. which was obviously a soundtrack that ended up being a culmination of a, a, a ton of BG songs over like three years, yeah. I believe. Yeah. And that was we, you know, it was like the movie doesn't come out until it's cold, <laughs> you know. Like we got the whole summer ahead of us, and and so we kind of felt like when we when we pitched that to RCA, who's yeah. my who I'm signed to, and who's our partner on this soundtrack. They got so amped up about the record, they were like, you have to put this out in the summer. And I was like, okay, well, I guess we'll just figure the rest out yeah. as we go. And cause you, because you can never, you're never going to sit in the studio and go like, let's make a hit, guys. <laughs> you know, like that never works. Right. I've never been able to do that. And I think what you do, though, is you, you trust that you're putting the right people in the room. Mm-hmm. And these are the people that you feel the right people because they trust the process. Yeah. And they care about it. And so I think that's, you know, that's what Max and Johan and I had in common when it came to the song. And, and we, you know, it's like we have True Colors and The Sound of Silence <laughs> and September and Lionel Richie's Hello. And we're like, these are huge songs. I feel like, I, I, you know, looking back on it now, I feel like if, if Can't Stop the Feeling was not the first iteration of what we were going for, then we would have taken another stab at it, mm-hmm. you know, until we had something that we felt like this is catchy. Right. You know, this feels really catchy and really like earwormy. So the last thing I'll, I'll bother you with is just obviously this has been an interesting monumental year. You have a huge, huge one of your biggest hits ever with this song. Mm-hmm. You have I think you scored your first film, your wife's mm-hmm. film, The Book of Love. Right. You've chronicled sort of for, for the future your what it's like to see you perform in this Jonathan Demi doc, Justin Timberlake and the Tennessee Kids, which has been out via Netflix. You had said, quote, I have accepted the fact I may not be physically able to do that again, (laughs) close quote, just because, you know, I I assume you're referring to the fact that time marches on. It's not going to be easy to dance like that forever. But we're now, as we said, like 15 years since the end of NSYNC, which was one chapter of your life. Mm -hmm. You've just come through these most recent 15 years what's your sort of evaluation of where things are now and and where would you like to be 15 years from now oh god (laughs) i'll be 50 then (laughs) this this went dark (laughs) well it doesn't have to be no i'm kidding i'm kidding man (laughs) i don't know i'm just excited i I, honestly man I, i i i really feel like i'm just coming into my own I feel like I've I've been really lucky to have this life thus far to get to do what feels like my true purpose more than anything. And I don't know, I just feel really thankful. I feel really thankful for that and so I feel like 
it just feels like a new experience now. And maybe that just comes with time and and life experience and getting a little bit older. I'm excited, you know. I, I want to make a ton of movies and I want to make a ton of music. I've sort of said too, like I thought my favorite thing to do was make people sing until I, I made people laugh. <laughs> and and I also think that that, that shared experience, I mean, here's what, here's what I really feel is like artists, we do what we're doing because we want to connect too. I think people enjoy music, you know, and enjoy movies because we're looking to connect. But I think the artists and actors and directors and songwriters who make these pieces we're looking to connect to and this is this is our way to do it there's nothing else in the world that I could do and so I don't know I just feel thankful for that and and excited to 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 see you know what's around the corner I mean I feel really creative again and I feel again appreciative of where I'm at yeah so well, you're terrific. I appreciate this so much. No, pleasure, thank man. Thank you. Hey, thanks so much. All right. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.